This is a story of failure, a story of failure, and a story of skateboarding. Today, failures in skateboarding on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast. Broadcasting to you from Santa Rosa, California, by way of the Icy Robots Radio Network, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, prepare to witness the strength of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, back for round two. It is I, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, with the second episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, broadcasting from my home in lovely Santa Rosa, California, by way of the IC Robots Radio Network. I'd like to thank those of you tuning in, whether it's for the first time or whether you caught our first episode last time around. Either way, we're glad to have you with us, and thanks for listening. For those who did catch the first episode, I would like to apologize for the vocal audio quality. We've since upgraded our microphone situation here at Sensational Studios, so I'm hoping for a smoother vocal experience this time around. But without further ado, let's get on with today's show. It is early December as I record this episode, which means things are in full holiday mode here at Sensational Manor. Our family, myself, my wife, Ms. Sensational, and our two daughters, Miss Sensational 1 and Miss Sensational 2, we're all fairly big holiday participants. We're secular holiday observers here, but we're all, we're all pretty big Christmas aficionados. Uh, I wouldn't say we're over the top or anything, but we... Uh, we observe Christmas every year, and we we have our family traditions, and we get into it. Um, this this Christmas, though, it's a little bit weird. Um, I'm realizing uh, our children, uh, Miss One is eleven, and Miss Two is eight, and it's been pretty apparent for the last few Christmas seasons that um, Miss One had given up the ghost on the the reality of Santa Claus at least a couple years ago, but was still kind of gamely going along with the charade for her sister's benefit. But uh, this year, Ms. 2 announced uh, that the jig was up for her as well. So I guess as parents, uh, Ms. Sensational and myself are past that stage where Christmas has that kind of surreal, magical feeling when you're, as a parent, pulling the strings to create these fantasy situations for the kids, like a real Santa Claus who leaves a note uh, after he eats and drinks his milk and cookies, or an advent calendar that magically produces chocolate every day in December. Uh, Those days are kind of in the rearview mirror for us now, it seems, but that's okay. We will move on and head on to the next chapter of life, and possibly that aspect of Christmas will return when and if uh, the day comes that we have sensational grandchildren, but that hopefully weighs out. In the meantime, though, before we get to the main subject of today's episode, I would like to take just a moment to uh, send good old St. Nick, Jolly St. Nick, Chris Kringle, Santa Claus, uh, whatever you want to call him. I, I want to take a moment to send him properly on his way now that he's kind of done his time here in the sensational household. So I'd like to I'd like to dial up a uh, longtime close personal friend of mine, a uh, friend of the show, none other than the one and only Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Steve, uh, why don't you step over here for just a moment and uh, just make it clear to good old St. Nick what we here at Sensational Manor now think of Am I the real Santa Claus, everyone? Am I the real Santa Claus? Did you say he's the real Santa Claus or not? He's not the Santa Claus. 
If he's not the real Santa Claus, give me a hell no. Not looking good for uh, Chris Kringle there. Santa, straight from the bottom of Stone Cold's heart, I got a little Christmas present for you myself. Thank you, Stone Cold, for making it official. Santa Claus is now blown off here at Sensational Manor. Thanks for the memories, St. Nick. Uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. GTFO, etc. I, I don't really have anything against Santa Claus. I don't know why I'm getting so uh, belligerent here, but I, I guess it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to let them see you cry. So rather than get uh, nostalgic or anything, I've just decided to keep the stiff upper lip and uh, not shed a tear. But but. It, Truth be told, he'll be missed, but it's time to move on. So moving right along with this second episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, um, today's tale is not a winter's tale. It's actually a tale that began in the fall many years ago, though um, I've always found the fall to be kind of a prelude to winter. I mean, duh, they're right next to each other, but yeah, fall through winter, that's kind of my favorite seasonal time of the year. Um, I guess particularly because of the the kind of climax of the holidays in the winter season um, and fall being kind of that that road to the holidays, sort of like Royal Rumble starts the road, road to WrestleMania. And I remember really starting to feel this way uh, towards sort of mid to later elementary school when I would start to notice that every year um, around September, October, before the holiday season began in earnest, you'd start to see commercials during after-school cartoons, uh, like commercials for Tyco race cars and stuff like that, that um, at a certain point I started to realize, oh, they're priming us for Christmas. They're trying to plant the seeds. Got it. But I found something, there's something very cozy about uh, these uh, toy companies uh, already trying to manipulate us in September and October. It was a a feeling that uh, I'm very nostalgic for still. And and I see it even when my my kids watch uh, TV today, you know, starting about September and October, um, the the commercials will start flooding in. And I I hate to be that guy, you know, back in my day, but I feel like the kind of toys that they're advertising nowadays, it's not quite as... uh, exciting or uh, festive feeling um, as the toys were when I was a kid. But, you know, that's that part for the course. I'm 40 now, so I'm, I'm well into that that uh, terrain of the stubborn old codgers who everything was better 20 years ago. But um, part of uh, the whole fall through winter season when I was younger, um, I always associated the change in the weather and the shorter days with kind of holding up uh, at home with some comic books, maybe some role-playing game books. I was always the kind of kid, I was into role-playing games, but I think I spent a lot more time reading the rule books than I ever did actually playing the games. So I always, it's funny because even to this day, I associate the fall and the winter too, uh, September through December. I always think of that as uh, Robotech uh, season, Robotech weather. Because I remember this one uh, fall in particular, I, I got the Robotech role-playing game rulebook from Palladium Games, and I just remember the kind of gray skies outside and a little bit of rain as I perused those uh, rule books. 
But speaking of Robotech, that's actually finally going to segue into uh, in a in a roundabout way. Of course, uh, you couldn't do it any other way on the Mister Sensational Gino Vega podcast. But uh, segue in a roundabout way to what today's episode is all about. And today's episode is entitled "Failures in Skateboarding." It's going to look at my interest in skateboarding that started when I was about in sixth grade and um, an interest that didn't go so well. So we're going to take our first quick break here. And when we come back, we are going to dial it back to the year 1987 when I was in sixth grade, when I was sporting a stonewash denim jacket and some TNC surf design t-shirts uh, some pegged stonewash jeans and some Converse All Stars, which I still wear to this day. And uh, we're going to take it back and we're going to look at just what went wrong with my forays into the world of skateboarding when we return on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. From the outer reaches of imagination, the ultimate racing challenge for your kids is here. New Daredevil Cliffhangers. Cars race toward the wall and up and over. They race upside down, defying gravity. They whip through the giant loop and now they chop and keep right on racing. It's thrill-packed. It's exciting. It's sensational. Daredevil Cliffhangers for your kids by Tyco, of course. Return to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. The story I'm about to tell today begins in the fall of 1987, though, um, just as a little bit of a preface, um, the seeds for this tale were sown the year or two before, uh, in 1986 and 1985. As I talked about on the last episode of the podcast, around this time of my life, uh, my family had moved to the city of Santa Rosa, California, where I still reside to this day. And um, those two years, 85 and 86, I'd spent uh, fourth and fifth grade going to an elementary school called Bennett Valley Elementary School. I don't think it exists anymore, but I uh, went to Bennett Valley Elementary School for those two years. Uh, didn't have the greatest of times. Um, again, I talked about this last time, so no need to revisit it in detail. But um, at Bennett Valley School, I spent most of my time on the playground playing with a guy named John, who I'm still friends with uh, today. And John and I were very enamored with the Robotech cartoon that was airing at the time, uh, which I will probably discuss more in more detail uh, on a future episode. But we were big into Robotech, and we would basically spend our recesses at Bennett Valley School running around in this kind of elevated field uh, that they had on the campus pretending to uh, be Veritech fighters, and God only knows how that worked. But yeah, running around, transforming, shooting at each other. Um, that kind of marginalized us from the larger school population. That wasn't exactly what was considered cool on campus or what uh, the general populace thought people should be doing with their time. The general populace of that school was very into, um, at least the male uh, population, the the cool guys would hang out um, 
at recess and basically just kind of shove each other, um, roughhouse and just uh, kind of um, let out a lot of swear words at each other with no real context or anything. It was, you know, when I, this was fourth grade for most of these guys and swearing was, was new to them, I suppose. So yeah, a lot, a lot of roughhousing, a lot of swearing. And these guys were really into wearing um, stonewashed jeans Maybe some of the more extreme ones would wear acid wash jeans, but stone washed was more more the thing. Stone washed jeans, pegged pants, and uh, TNC surf design t-shirts. And at that time, I had none of these things. But by the time I'd finished fifth grade and I saw the writing on the wall, I was starting to realize that if I wanted to improve my social standing, um, I might have to try to get some of this gear. So by towards the end of fifth grade, I told my mom that I wanted to go shopping for some new clothes. And um, it wasn't that I didn't have this gear that I mentioned because my parents wouldn't buy it for me or anything like that. I just was never particularly interested in or concerned with clothes. So my clothes shopping usually consisted of one back-to-school shopping trip at the beginning of each school year where my mom would take me to Mervyn's and I would just buy some really generic kid clothes. Um, So uh, my mom was like, oh, sure, yeah, I didn't realize there was something in particular you wanted. So she took me to the shopping mall and I proceeded to pick out a pair of Converse All-Stars. I don't know that those shoes were in favor uh, with the kids at the school, but for some reason they stood out to me. And I can't even remember what I wore before I started wearing Converse, but Converse is still pretty much the shoe that I wear to this day. But so I picked out some all-stars. I picked out some pairs of Levi's stonewashed jeans. I got a stonewashed Levi's denim jacket, and I picked out a collection of TNC surf design t-shirts. And these TNC surf design t-shirts, I'd been admiring them from afar, even though I sort of found the guys at school who wore them irritating. I really liked these shirts because basically, I don't know how many of you out there are familiar with TNC surf design shirts, but they were these um, t-shirts that had, um, you know, each one would have a different kind of cartoon theme on them with these cartoon characters, but there was a reoccurring cast and pantheon of characters, kind of like any comic book series or cartoon or whatever, and um, those of you who listened to the last episode, and I mean, those of you who are listening to this one will probably figure out, uh, that's the kind of thing that really appealed to me then, appeals to me now, kind of internally consistent fantasy universes. So to me, it was like, oh, wow, on these shirts, there's these characters and they seem to have consistent behavior each time they show up. And each guy's got his own gimmick. And there's like, there was the Joe Cool guy. And I think there was like a cat in a suit that rode a surfboard or skateboard. There was like a uh, Islander tiki dude with like a war mask on. Um, So I I was really into these characters and I was really uh, excited to finally get some of these shirts myself and kind of maybe get deeper into what these characters were all about. Um, and a couple of years later, uh, and interestingly, I never actually had it or played it, but this kind of uh, 
came to its uh, climax when um, there was actually a TNC Surf Designs video game for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. And it's actually one of the games, again, even though I never had it, never played it, when I heard about it, it's one of the things that really got me um, dead set into wanting to get a hold of a Nintendo Entertainment System, though I never did play the game. Though it would have been very interesting to me to see how these characters came to life and... uh, what stories they had to tell in the game. But I guess that's going to have to be left to the dustbin of what could have been. Anyway, I got geared up with this new gear. I showed up at school. Absolutely nothing changed. It turns out you can change the package on a geek, but you cannot change the geek inside the package, I suppose. Uh, Try as I might, still couldn't fit in with the shoving swear guys. And, uh... Basically just uh, went back to playing Robotech, though now in kind of some shinier duds that were more um, of, of the day. So time passed, fifth grade ended, and that summer, my family, when we'd first moved to the city of Santa Rosa a couple years previously, we'd moved into uh, an apartment. That summer, my family bought a house, so we moved into the house. The house was in a different school district than Benna Valley School. My parents gave me the opportunity to try going to a new school if I wanted to, and I was like, heck yeah, I can't stand Bennett Valley School, so let's try something different. So um, for sixth grade, I ended up going to a school called Matanzas Elementary. And I kind of looked at this as a chance to be able to reinvent myself because the way I saw it, hey, I got this new gear. These kids at this new school don't know who I am. They don't know my previous history. I can just waltz in looking cool as hell, and I will just completely fit in and be one of the cool guys. Might even do some shoving and swearing. You never know. So I showed up to Matanzas, and much to my dismay, the kids there were not wearing stonewashed jeans, and they weren't wearing TNC surf design shirts. They were wearing these kinds of shorts I'd never seen before, And they were wearing t-shirts that were far more edgy and outlandish than TNC. The ones that really stuck out in my mind um, were these shirts that said stuff like uh, Lucero on them and Schmidt sticks. And would have a picture of some sort of creature uh, in a a cell with its hands wrapped around uh, the cell bars. And I was thinking, my God, what is this? Um, other ones had, uh, t-shirts that had an iron cross on it and some sort of bird-like skull and read Tony Hawk. Um, others, uh, had shirts that, um, said something about vision streetwear. Basically, it was a, a manner of dress that I had not yet seen at that point in my life. But I thought, you know, hey, I got my TNC on, it's all good. But now the funny thing is, it had never even occurred to me that the scenes that were depicted on the TNC surf design shirts, the surfing and the skating, that anyone would actually do that. I I just thought it was – to me, skateboarding or surfing was the equivalent of like Superman flying around Metropolis. You know, it was some fictional thing. It didn't actually happen. As a um, little bit of uh, back information, I've never been the most physical person. Um, definitely not at all into sports or any kind of that style of extracurricular activity. Not not my scene. So um, I wondered what these strange shirts that these kids were wearing at Matanzas were all about. 
And in conjunction with seeing this new style of dress, I noticed that a lot of these guys were riding skateboards to school, which was new to me because no one at Benna Valley really did that. And um, I started to piece things together and I started to kind of eavesdrop on some conversations. And I started to realize that these shirts that these guys were wearing, were, these were related to skateboards, skateboarding. And I noticed that these guys were all reading this magazine called Thrasher. Um, some of them would also read one called Trans World, but Thrasher was the main thing. And I think I, I either borrowed a Thrasher magazine that I found on a desk or I, I maybe I went downtown and uh, bought one myself. I can't remember, but somehow I ended up with a Thrasher magazine and I started flipping through it. And interestingly, what stood out to me the most in the magazine was, you know, I, the pictures of skateboarders didn't really resonate with me. Uh, there were some articles about bands and I would read those. And then I would look in the back and I would see all these advertisements for band t-shirts and for skateboard decks with really outlandish kind of comic bookish uh, graphics. And that really appealed to me. So between the graphics and um, the bands, I started to think that maybe this whole skateboarding thing is something I should look into. Of course, I still didn't quite understand the fact that the appeal to most normal people about skateboarding was the physical act of skateboarding itself. I just thought it was a vehicle for listening to cool bands and wearing some cool t-shirts and looking at some cool pictures on a skateboard that you probably wouldn't really ride yourself. Though, as I mentioned, I did notice that at Matanzas, a lot of kids rode skateboards to school, but I figured this was just kind of like a, a, a marginal involvement with the boards. I mean, they, they would kind of ride them for a couple blocks, but that, that was about it. It was just kind of a nod to, to the more abstract idea of skateboarding. So inspired by my early exposure to what was to me a new culture, the culture of skateboarding, I decided to make my move and start kind of peripherally sniffing around some of the skater guys in Matanzas to see what it would take to penetrate their social scene, uh, to get in on what they were in on. So I kind of started hanging around some of the kids in my class. Again, I was in sixth grade and sixth grade at Matanzas, uh, they kind of set it up sort of like um, what would now be considered a middle school. Back then, they called it junior high school. But it was to get us prepared from, for moving to the junior high school next year in seventh grade. They had it set up where we had a homeroom teacher, our main teacher, and then we went to the other two sixth grade teachers for math and for social studies and whatnot. So um, in my homeroom, there were a couple of skater guys. There was a kind of the main Joe Cool uh, king skater. His name was Mike. Mike had uh, the kind of hairdo where it was sort of shaved around the sides and longer in front and blonde. And then Mike had a sidekick named Steve, if I remember correctly. And Steve had Steve kind of looked like the bad guy from Karate Kid. You know, he had like blonde feathered on the sides hair. Um. And then um, they had a few – those were the two main guys that I remember. And then they had a few hangers-on. And um, so I first started by kind of trying to chat up some of the hangers-on. And um, one of them was kind of this bigger dude. And I don't even remember his name. But he, he was often wearing the, the Schmidt Sticks Lucero uh, skateboard T-shirt. That's the one with the, the creature like inside of a cell with his hands on the bars. And uh, the, I was really into the whole Schmidt Sticks thing because I remember when I would see the ads for their skateboards, again, I'm sucker for this internally consistent universe thing. I felt like the, the Lucero boards, they all seemed to um, have different characters. That I, 
that sort of matched up with this pantheon of their skateboards. I mean, I guess most of the skateboarding companies, their decks were kind of like that. But really, in the case of Schmidt Sticks, there was like the Lucero one. But then there was also like the Yardstick. And there was the one that had like buzz saws on it. And I think there were a couple different variations of people in cells. So I thought, oh, there's like not just one creature in a cell. There's multiple creatures in the cells. And it was kind of pre-Pokemon. Just got to catch them all. That was a real feeling I got with the Schmidt Sticks line of skateboards. Um, so this this hangers on that wore um, a lot of Schmidt Sticks gear. He's kind of a big guy. He sort of looked like, I can't remember if it's Crab or Goyle, but one of those two dudes from uh, the Harry Potter, the early Harry Potter movies, just kind of luggish guy. And I remember I tried to kind of um, start some small talk with him in homeroom one day, and I was like, um, so, man, uh, how, how about that Lucero shirt? What, what do you think's up with that creature? What do you think he's doing? And the guy just looked at me like I was out of my mind. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, y- you know, the creature's in the cell. Where's the cell? Why are they in there? Who put him in there? What are they going to do? What have they been doing in the cell? What are their powers? What are their attributes? And he was just kind of like, skateboard, man. F off. Just kind of like punched me in the uh, shoulder and walked away. So I figured I wasn't really getting anywhere with him. But I figured my problem was I needed to move up the chain. I wasn't going to get anywhere talking to these pawns. I had to get at least to like a rook or a knight or whatever. So I set my sights, um, but really my sights were set on on Mike, the king skater. Like uh, this guy, he he and I, are, we're going to become best friends. But I knew I couldn't just go to him directly. So I decided to get to him by way of his right-hand man, Steve. So I started kind of like hanging around, listening to Steve talk in class. And one thing that I picked up on was that these guys were always making fun of some sort of skateboard called, I believe it was a Nash. And I think what the issue was, was Nash was a kind of skateboard deck that you could buy at a regular toy store like Toys R Us. Therefore, it was not cool. It wasn't a skateboard sold at a pro specialty skateboard shop licensed by a professional skateboarder. So there was always a lot of joking about Nash. And I didn't really understand why at the time, but I I did pick up on the fact that Nash was an object of derision. So I would just kind of be hanging around, listening to them talk, and then without them even really noticing me or noticing who I was, just every couple of minutes throwing in, yeah, how about those losers that ride Nash, huh? (laughs) Without really knowing what I was talking about. But anyway, so Steve eventually noticed that I was always hanging around. He sort of started making some uh, small talk with me. And at first I thought we were becoming fast friends, but in retrospect, I think he was just kind of effing with me. But uh, he noticed my TNC gear and he's like, oh, sick shirt, bro. On TNC, huh? And I was like, yeah, man, check it out. And I think it was this one, like the picture on the back, it said out of control. And they were like uh, all riding their skateboards out in the air uh, near an air traffic controller. And he's like, oh, those bros are getting some sick air, huh? And I was like, yeah, they are. <laughs> and he was like kind of smirking. And so, again, in retrospect, I realized I, I was I, I was providing some uh, fodder for humor there. But I thought I was really making inroads with Steve. So my campaign to make my way into the skater ranks uh, through the classroom continued slowly. Um, and again, like I said, I thought I was making progress. I don't really think I was in retrospect. But, you know, I, I kept plugging away. But meanwhile, um, around that time, fall of sixth grade, we were still pretty new to the house that we'd moved into. And I'd taken up occupying my time when I'd come home from school. I'd take my bike out. And it was around the age where it was was still fairly new to me that I was able to just kind of roam around on my own without parental supervision. So I'd get home from school. I'd take my bike and I'd just kind of ride around the neighborhood. I'd ride up to a nearby liquor store where I'd buy some now and later candies. Um, and then I'd ride around the local park and then just kind of roam neighborhoods, eating candy, riding my bike. 
And one day I was riding around, not that far from where my parents lived, um, riding down a little suburban side street there, and I saw a bunch of kids milling around in front of a skateboard launch ramp, and it was all the cool skater guys from Matanzas. I now knew where they lived, or where they hung out at least. It turns out the house that I passed was actually King Skater Mike's house. And they had a launch ramp out in front of there, and they were all doing their skater thing where, you know, skaters will just continue to... uh, It doesn't make a lot of sense to an outsider. It makes a lot of sense to them. And I just want to make it clear um, as I'm doing this show, I have nothing but respect for skaters and skateboarding. I know a lot of people whose skating means a lot to them, and they take it very seriously. I don't understand it personally, but it's not my thing. Um, I've never really understood taking something so seriously that you get, like, angry or bent out of shape about how people perceive it. Um or your self-image in relation to it. But whatever, that's a thing, seems to be a thing with skateboarding, and we'll get more into that as the story continues. But anyway, um, to, to an outsider like me, skateboarding doesn't make a lot of sense. Unless you're seeing someone at the really, really, really high pro level, it just looks like a bunch of guys falling off their skateboard over and over and over again. And I mean, I guess that's how you get good, but whatever. That's what these guys were doing. But at the time, I thought, oh, wow, so this is weird. They actually do this skateboarding thing. They don't just ride it a couple blocks to school. You really have to do it, huh? Yeah, maybe this isn't for me, but maybe it is. I feel it calling to me. So I've got to find some way to fit in. I've got to start doing this. So I rode up on my bike and just kind of hung out at the fringes watching them. They didn't really pay much attention to me, but you know, I every now and again, I just yell out, um, yeah, how about the losers at Ride Nash? Ha ha ha. And you know, no one really paid attention. And uh, they just continued to do their launching off the ramp endlessly. And so eventually I got back on my bike and rode home, probably watched Mask or that cartoon Cops, not Cops the reality show, but Cops the cartoon or Saved by the Bell or something along those lines. I think this was pre-Saved by the Bell, but whatever. Uh, Went home, went back about my normal business. But um, I took away two things from that afternoon. A, I figured out where these guys hung out outside of school, and I decided I was going to start hanging around in order to become part of the crew. And I also realized I was going to have to buy a skateboard and um, possibly learn how to ride it. Um, So I started lobbying to my parents for buying a skateboard. And I think originally they were like, oh, we can go down to the Toys R Us and get you a nice Nash. I mean, they didn't really call it by name, but I was like, oh, no, 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 no. We can, no Toys R Us, no Toys R Us. We have to go to a skate shop. So, um... We went, my dad took me to a place called Alvin Skateboards, I believe, in nearby Katati, California. Katati is about like 10, 15 minutes away from Santa Rosa, kind of a college town. Uh, Sonoma State University is there. So we went to Alvin Skates, and I think it might have even been Alvin himself sold us a skateboard. And he um, he steered us towards a pair Wellander I believe Pal Peralta made those um, skateboard deck, which he assured my father and I, this is, this is the Cadillac of skateboards. So I have no idea if that's true or not, but to this day, that that's my my belief. So the Parawellander deck is the Cadillac of skateboards. So a Parawellander deck, some big white wheels. I can't remember what kind of wheels they were. I remember I kind of wanted those, um, with the the ones with the, with a hand with a mouth in it or something like Spitfire. Man, I'm, I think I'm getting things confused, but there was a kind of wheel I thought was cool, but it was like more expensive. So I got these big white wheels and, uh, I think I got some adventure trucks, uh, you know, cause trucks are the things the wheels are on for some reason, the skaters, that's like a big deal for them. So I remember, um, uh, I think I wanted to get independent trucks cause those were really the cool ones at the time. But again, you know, 
uh, mom and dad weren't going to shell out. They're, they were going to shell out enough for a Cadillac, but not necessarily for like a, a Ferrari, you know. So I came home with this skateboard and I proceeded to walk into our driveway with the skateboard and stand on the skateboard and just stand there and be like, why isn't it going? Come on, flip, jump, do something. And it just sat there. So I probably stood out there in the driveway on my motionless skateboard for about five minutes before I shrugged my shoulders, gave up, said, forget this and went back inside and played some video games or watched some cartoons or whatever. Um, and I think I, I tried repeating this maybe like four or five times where I'd take the skateboard out and nothing would happen and just get kind of puzzled and go back in. But, uh, eventually, um, I thought it was time to engage the group over at Mike's house once more. So another day after school, I rode my bike over there and they were all out on the ramp again. And, uh, I kind of rolled up and, hey, what's up, guys? I have a skateboard now, too. And it was one of those, you know, where the the record comes to a needle screeching halt and everyone just kind of whips their head around. And um, in addition to the guys from school, uh, Mike and Steve and their uh, cronies, there were these two guys. And I can't remember. I think these guys might have been a little bit older. I think they might have already been at the junior high school. Um, but one was named James and one was named Jeff. And James was kind of a, uh, James kind of looked like, uh, was his name Scott Fargus from uh, Christmas Story? Um, kind of freckly guy, um, was sort of a angry looking look on his face. And then Jeff was just kind of nice looking dude um, with uh, kind of dark hair. Um, and I remember, I think, uh, James was just like, dude, if you have a skateboard, why isn't it here? And I was like, well, because I rode my bike, of course. And they were just kind of like, whatever. Kept going about their business. So I hung around. And I realized it, it was kind of hard. I, it was rough going trying to um, penetrate the scene when they were all out there in full skateboard throat on the launch ramp. So I figured there had to be a different way to make myself known and get myself in with the group with Mike in particular, whose house it was and who still was kind of my holy grail for um, uh, initiating what I, I was just convinced was going to be this this great friendship to come. So what I did is I flipped the script a little bit, and instead of returning on another day after school when they were all out there, I decided I was riding my bike to school, and I hit up Mike's house on the way to school early in the morning and knocked on the door and sure enough, he was there. And he was kind of like, uh, who are you? And I was like, hey, man, it's me, Scott, from school. And he's like, uh, okay, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I just figured we'd hang out before uh, before we head off to school together. And he's like, all right, whatever. So I went inside, and Mike lived in a house with his mom. I don't believe there was a dad in the picture. And I got the sense that it was a situation where his mom worked a lot, so wasn't around that much. Um, and so Mike kind of just had his run of the place. And um, I went inside the house with him, and we went into his room. And uh, his room was way cooler than my room. It was all decked out with various skateboard pictures on the walls and just stacks of Thrasher magazines and... Um, you know, uh, cassette tapes of different like punk and heavy metal and rap music. And, um, but what really stood out to me is I noticed he had all of these miniature, 
kind of miniature skateboard ramps and miniature skateboards made out of paper and cardboard where what he would do was cut out the pictures of the skateboard decks that were being advertised in Thrasher and then um, glue or tape that picture onto a piece of cardboard in the same shape of the skateboard and then use toothpicks to make, um, you know, they call them rails on the uh, bottom of the skateboard. Um, And so he would have these little um, miniature uh, toy skateboards, basically, that he made himself. And then he would make, um, you know, replica half pipe ramps and launch ramps. But then the part that really stood out to me, the part that put it over the top for me, is he would actually make these little t-shirt stands and then cut out the t-shirt advertisements from Thrasher. So there'd be little t-shirts hanging up, um, you know, and, uh, inside the, the concession stand. And so basically he had his own little skate park, uh, fantasy skate park. And to me, that was like a million times cooler than any human being ever riding a skateboard. That was like, you know, cause I, I have my affinity for, uh, toys and, um, video games and all that stuff. And this kind of fit right in, you know, a, l- a lot of times for me, my weird psychological deal is that I, I get more into simulations of things than things themselves. So this was just a mind blowing simulation to me. And I, I was just in awe of this. So I was asking him about it and he was telling me how he made it. And, um, so things were going well, you know, he, he went from just kind of like apathetic disdain to the fact that I'd shown up uninvited to his doorstep to kind of enthusiastically telling me about his little miniature skate park world. And that was cool. Um, and then I was kind of going through his tapes and, uh, uh, I found, I think he had a, a two live crew tape and LL cool J tape and maybe a fat boys tape. And I asked him if I could borrow them to dub them. And, uh, he said, okay. And then we, uh, eventually it was time to head out to school. So we head out to school together and made some made some kind of sullen small talk. Like he wasn't really that, uh, uh, into our co adventures toward the school, but he, he was being polite enough. And, uh, so it was cool. I was like, oh, okay, I'm right on the precipice. We're about to become best friends. And I went home that night after school and I probably stood on my skateboard a couple times in the driveway. And then I went inside and dubbed the tapes I'd borrowed from Mike and hid them under my mattress because I felt very guilty about having, um, the two live crew tape in particular, um, in my parents' home, I was afraid I would get found out. So those got hidden under my bed. Um, and the next day I showed up at Mike's house again on the way to school, returned the tapes, hung out, uh, messed around with his, uh, miniature skate park. Um, I think I bummed a couple thrashers off him so I could start making my own, uh, skate park at home. And we went to school together and, um, Continued doing this for a while, on and off. I don't think I did it every day, but I think, you know, on and off I would show up at his house and he would kind of sullenly but, you know, acceptingly hang out with me for 20 minutes before it was time to leave and then walk to school with me. So after this had gone on for a while, I thought it was time to now step it up to the next level and go back again when they were all out there um, in front of his house after school. And so um, I did that. I showed up one day. And they were all out there. But remember, earlier I had mentioned there was a James and a Jeff that were older than us and didn't go to school with us. Well, this day that I showed up, uh, James, the kind of freckle-faced Scott Fargus-looking guy, he was there, but Jeff was not. And so I figured, okay, this is how I'm going to um, ingratiate myself to them. I'm going to mention that I ran into Jeff. So they're going to uh, see that as a sign that, oh, oh, so Jeff's cool with him. Oh, so... uh, uh, he's one of us, but now I hadn't run into Jeff, but I figured since he wasn't there, he, he was going to know. So I go up and I was like, what's up guys? Where's Jeff? And they're like, I don't know. He's not here, bro. And I was like, 
you know, I just saw him a little while ago around the corner over by my parents' house. And they're like, you did, huh? I was like, yeah, he, he was walking down the street with a skateboard. And again, it was one of those record scratching, screeching halt moments. And they all, he was what? Yeah, man, he was walking down the street with a skateboard. And James kind of comes up over to me and he's like, he was walking with his skateboard? And I was like, yeah, man, he was walking down the street with a skateboard under his arm. And now see, I had no idea what I was saying here. I just thought <laughs> this is how someone would be comporting themselves. Why would you be riding your skateboard when you could have it tucked under your arm walking down the street? But they took this. This was like, um, you know, this is the equivalent of like when uh, bikers get all hot and bothered because they think someone is is wearing like a, a biker vest that they don't deserve to be wearing or, or they're riding a, a bike that they don't have the clearance to ride or whatever. And this was just this this was a very uh, at a fundamental tribal level, um, a, a huge infraction. And they kind of huddled and they were talking about this. I'm like, hey, Jeff was seen walking down the street carrying his board. And I didn't really think much of it. And then they went back about their business and I continued to do my just kind of standing on the sidelines watching them and, you know, every couple of minutes, yeah, screw Nash, man. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And so um, uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't think much of it. Went back to school, a few days passed. And um, I decided it was time to uh, stop in at Mike's house again in the morning before school. And uh, I showed up and I knocked on the door and there was no answer. And I rang the doorbell and there was no answer. And I figured, hmm, I, maybe he's not there today. So I went to school and uh, a couple days later I tried again and there was no answer. And a couple days later I tried again and this time his mom, who I'd never met before, answered the door and she looked kind of irritated and she was like, Mike's not here, he's already gone to school. And I was like, oh, okay, um, do you think he'll be around tomorrow? And she kind of insinuated, oh, I think tomorrow he'll have already gone to school too. And I realized something had gone wrong. But I wasn't ready to let it deter me yet. I, I was still under the impression that my game plan to become best friends with Mike was still, had, had been progressing at a good clip. So, so maybe there was a little bump in the road and I wasn't sure what it was, but it, it was probably easily remedi- remediable. So I return to his house um, for another one of these after-school launch ramp sessions. But this time when I rolled up, instead of being treated with indifference, I encountered some very clear hostility as um, I pulled up on my bike and James practically came sprinting up to me, shoving me. I'm just like, what the hell, dude? And I was like, what? He's like, you're a liar, bro. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, Jeff's right here, man. He wasn't walking down the street with a skateboard, you insert homosexual expletive. Uh, and I was like, no, 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 Jeff, remember we totally saw each other, bro. We, you were walking down the street, man. You said, what's up? And Jeff's just like looking pissed off. And he's like, I didn't see you, dude. I've never seen you anywhere but here, you insert homosexual expletive. Um, and all of a sudden I started to realize, oh, dang. I totally bungled this situation. I started to put the pieces together. And as I was doing that, James is like, why would you say that about him, dude? You're the insert homosexual expletive here, not him. And um, I, I started to realize that I had gravely insulted this poor fellow by insinuating that he was walking with his skateboard instead of riding it. I don't know how I was able to overlook that originally, but I did, and it had backfired tremendously. And so they were kind of surrounding me 
and kind of shoving me a little bit and maybe a couple like uh, uh, palm strikes to the head. So I proceeded to get back on my bike and ride home. And that was pretty much the end of my attempt to ingratiate myself to the Matanzas uh, skateboard scene. I figured it was pretty much a lost cause at that point. I do remember I had one final encounter with Mike on the playground where I basically pleaded my case to him that I was new to the school, I just wanted to make friends, I thought he and I could be best friends, man. And he just kind of looked uncomfortable and said, yeah, it's not going to happen. And we went our separate ways. And um, I didn't, you know, that particular group, I don't know what became of most of them. I don't really remember encountering them in junior high school or high school. Uh, Mike was still around, but Mike, that's a funny case. He continued to be kind of a skatery guy into junior high and into high school, But the last time I saw him was in my early 20s, was at a bar in Santa Rosa, and he had gone full hick, like type of dude wearing like a denim jacket with like fleece on the collar and riding a big truck and stuff. So that's kind of, that was an interesting transition, but I I guess you you go where the wind carries you in life. And uh, he he was born to be a rambling man. So I, I guess he's off with the country roads now, if he's even, that's even still his deal. I mean, that now was like quite a while, like 20 years ago, geez, Louise. Um, But anyway... Um, we're going to take one final break. We're going to come back with a postscript about my, uh, failures in skateboarding. And then that will be it for this episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. So we will be right back after this. We now return to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And welcome back as we prepare to close out the second episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for sticking around for this long. Hey, if you made it this far, you'll probably make it to the end. Maybe. Anyway, I want to take a moment to get into something that I forgot to mention on the first episode last time around. I just want to clarify that once again, the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast is brought to you by the IC Robots Radio Network. Where can you learn more about the IC Robots Radio Network? Well, head over to icrobots.com for feeds for all of our shows, including the venerable Toys R Us Report podcast. Uh, curated by the man IC Robots himself. Uh, IC Robots also posts his uh, Guide to the Marvel Universe shows over there, his uh, This Boring Life shows, all kinds of great stuff on the growing IC Robots radio network. You can also find the IC Robots podcast feed wherever podcast feeds congregate, iTunes and places such as that. I would also encourage you to head over to Facebook and like the IC Robots Facebook page. ISR posts over there pretty regularly, all kinds of neat tidbits, stuff about the shows, stuff he's up to, uh, pictures of items he's found at the local Goodwill dig, 
Um, all kinds of great fun, so head over there if you're so inclined. As for me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, you can find me at genovega.wordpress.com. Uh, that is my website of sorts. It's long since uh, neglected and not updated, but now that the show is kicking, uh, I think I'm going to bring it back to life over there. You can also find me on Twitter uh, at Sensational Vega. And again, Twitter is not something I have been maintaining that regularly, but one, now that the show is in effect, I'm thinking about heading back over there. You can also find me on Facebook. Um, I don't have my precise link. You'd have to do a search for uh, Gino Vega, and there may be more than one. Um, but I'm usually liking stuff on the Icy Robots page, so you can you can track me down pretty easily. You can find me if you want to find me. But uh, uh, open to any and all friend requests from listeners out there. So hit me up there if you're so inclined. I usually talk about uh, oh lame stuff like pro wrestling and uh, I don't know whatever else happens to be on the mind of Mister Sensational at any given time. But back to the show, let's wrap things up here. We are going to get into the postscript of my failures in skateboarding. I already mentioned how things went down during those formative times in that sixth grade year at Matanzas Elementary. And um, like I said, once things fell apart with uh, trying to make inroads with those guys, um, it's not that I abandoned my interest in skateboarding imagery. Uh, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't as much in the forefront. I kind of, I, um, I, uh, accepted, I conceded um, my class status at school. It wasn't going to be any different at Matanzas than it was at Bennett Valley. I was going to be one of the dweebs, kind of just wandering aimlessly, and, and that's how it went down. Um, but as I progressed in school, and actually I think some of this is going to come up on the next episode. Uh, next episode is going to be one of two parts looking at my history in music, both my uh, my early days as a music fan from my childhood up through junior high school. That's going to be part one. And then part two is going to be my experiences playing in a band. I played in a punk rock band called the Invalids on and off over the years. Uh, we're going to talk about that, talk about some stories. There's going to be a, a, a couple celebrity cameos in some of those stories. So, But anyway, I, I had moved on to junior high, I'd gotten into music. And back in the early 90s, uh, music, particularly the kind of music I was into, like metal and punk and stuff like that, went sort of hand in hand with skateboarding culture. And like I said, I, I had heard of a lot of bands for the first time by seeing ads for their shirts on Thrasher magazine. And that when I went into seventh grade and got more serious about being a music fan, that, that's kind of how I found bands. I looked through sources like Thrasher through ads and I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the tapes or records or whatever of every band that has a shirt on this list. And uh, so I, you know, skateboarding imagery continued to be on my mind more or less. Um, I still had a skateboard. I think I graduated from a the Pear Wellander that I had around for years, Barely Road. I, I did finally get to a point where I was able to ride it from my parents' house about like 15-minute ride in a straight line to downtown where I'd go to buy comic books and uh, cassette tapes and stuff like that. I, As I got older, I was able to, to utilize it in that way. I graduated from that uh, parallel under two. I bought a Lance Mountain deck from a kid in junior high. Um, and that one was a little more broken in. So it looked like I'd been riding it properly, even though I hadn't. But um, so I, you know, the skateboards were still around because it was impossible to be into alternative music uh, back in the 90s without some, some permeation of skateboarding into that life. Um, but I certainly never got any more adept at riding my skateboard. And I, I continued to run into problems with that. Um, I, I remember at a certain point in, once I was in high school, I wanted to get a baseball hat. And the way I looked at it, I mean, when you wear a, a literal baseball hat from a baseball team, I never took that that signifies that you're then 
a you think of yourself as a professional baseball player. You're wearing it because you like the way the hat looks, you like baseball, whatever. So when I needed to get a hat, I was like, I don't really want to get a hat from a baseball team because at the time I wasn't really following sports. I don't really want to get you know a football hat because I hadn't become a Raiders fan yet. Um, yeah, I'm just going to get this New Deal hat. And New Deal was it was a skateboard company. And that led to, um, you know, long since that I left the, the skaters from sixth grade in the historic, in the dust of my personal history. But um, this was a new group of skaters at the high school I went to took issue with this. Because again, it's a whole kind of biker mentality. You know, I, I wasn't supposed to be wearing this hat because I wasn't jumped in. So um, I pissed off a whole other swath of skaters with that. Um, I had my skateboard and I would actually ride it from my house to school, but then sometimes I get lazy and I'd, 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 uh, channel, uh, the, my fictional version of Jeff and I'd tuck it under the old arm and just kind of walk for a while. And I remember one time, um, my girlfriend at the time who I'm now married to Ms. Sensational, uh, she, uh, she didn't go to our high school, but she knew a girl that went to the high school. And I remember this girl, uh, this girl was dating a prominent skater at our high school. And this girl contacted Mrs. Sensational one day and was very concerned because why was your boyfriend seen walking with a skateboard because again this is skaters i've learned um through these stories um if anything they are believers in protocol and that was not proper skate protocol and i'm guilty of that i apologize anyway it caused some bad feelings um among some of the skate population of my high school and you know i was kind of a smart aleck by that point i I was not quite the naive chump i was in sixth grade so I, i i trolled a bit i antagonized and so um, I don't want to get too into this part of the story, but I did have a feud with some skaters um, at my high school. It was just it was more kind of passive aggressive, like, uh, you know, I don't like you guys and you don't like me. <laughs> but it was never like anything direct. I think I wrote a song uh, sort of dissing one of the guys in the early days of being in the punk band, The Invalids. Um, and it was awkward, too, because like we had friends in common. And, and there was no real beef. It was just the high school. you know. But, but fortunately, the story has a happy ending because um, the beef was squashed, and I made peace with skateboarding and skaters once and for all in high school. I was probably in 10th or 11th grade. Um, there was the group I'd mentioned that like for a couple years had had some static with, but around that time we all started smoking cigarettes. And back then our high school was an open campus. You could, you could leave campus to go get lunch or whatever during the lunch hour. And so technically if we just kind of walked past the parking lot of our school near this area that was kind of a bridge over a Creek, it was called the bridge. If you went and hung out over there, you could smoke cause you were, you weren't on school property and the, the yard duties couldn't, couldn't say a thing about it. So we were all out there smoking and, uh, there was real unity among smokers back then. And the skater guys smoked, and I smoked, and one day, either I bummed a cigarette off them, or they bummed a cigarette off me, and all was good in the hood for, uh, forever after. It was the great the great lung cancer treaty of uh, 1993 or whatever. But anyway, you know, you live and you learn. Skating wasn't for me. Um, I know a lot of people who swear by it, swear it changed their life, saved their life. I always looked at it kind of negatively, because um, the, the group that I kind of came up in, um, after I'd gotten out of Matanzas, once I was in junior high and high school, I kind of veered towards the whole sort of 90s alternative thing. And that crowd tends to look sort of disparagingly at what, what they consider jocks because a lot of them got made fun of by jocks in high school, you know, f- baseball players, football players. But for me, you know, skaters were always my jocks. You know, I didn't know anyone who played football. They, those were, people were so alien to me, like we didn't even register with one another. But the, the people that I always felt picked upon, the people I always felt I couldn't do anything right with, um, were these skater guys. And so I, I never quite pedestaled the skateboard scene as much as some of my friends do. Again, 
to each their own. I'm not saying this to criticize anyone. I'm just looking back and ruminating and trying to find some humor in self-deprecation. So hopefully that came across clearly this week. Hopefully I didn't come across as too much of a grump. Uh, If you got your skateboard, ride it, enjoy it. Me, I'll just keep rocking my TNC and imagining a day when Joe Cool and the cat wearing the suit and I think there was a big ape guy and the tiki dude are all just flying in the air together doing circles around an air traffic control tower. Whatever. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out icrobots.com. Oh, I did forget to mention... IC Robots is a listener-supported enterprise. So if you would like to help this wonderful network of shows continue to thrive, head on over to supportthereport.com. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can become a supporter of the IC Robots radio network and all of the shows that it has to offer. So with that said, I think we're ready to wrap it up here. Uh, We're about to hit the 60-minute mark, and I really don't want to bore you any longer than that. So like I said, next time around, we're going to be looking at part one of a two-part series on my history and music. I hope you join us then, and I hope in joining us today, you managed to glean something out of what we talked about here. So until next time, thanks for letting me be sensational. Thanks for being sensational with me. For the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network, this is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega signing off. Joseph S. Mama Production on the IC Robots Radio Network.